Good afternoon, or morning, or evening, whatever time of day it is that you may be watching or listening to this. I welcome you back to The Word Encounter, episode 127. And we will be starting off in Isaiah chapter 17. And the, um, the section title for this is A Pronouncement Against Damascus. Now, one of the things I want to emphasize here is that over the next few episodes, probably, <clears throat> we're going to be delivering pronouncements by Isaiah from God against various entities, various people, groups, countries, cities, whatever. In this uh, time period, I guess uh, the Lord had Isaiah busy with being his oracle, his prophet, and telling the peoples of coming events. And so we see in chapter 17, uh, verse 1, a pronouncement concerning Damascus. It says, look, Damascus is no longer a city. It has become a ruined heap. And so we talk about Damascus, which is a city in Syria. In Syria, another name for uh, Syria is Aram. Back at the end in those days, and so whenever we hear Aram, Syria, Damascus, it's all referring to the same thing. It says in verse three, <clears throat> the fortress disappears from Ephraim. Ephraim being uh, a, a city or a location in Israel, so this is referring to Israel. A fortress dis- uh, disappears from Ephraim, and a kingdom from Damascus. The remnant of Aram will be like a splendor, uh, will be like the splendor of the Israelites. In other words, you know, God had uh, throughout the years pronounced judgment against Israel because of their wickedness. And so this is essentially saying Aram is going to end up like Israel. And this is the declaration of the Lord of armies. The next section is entitled Judgment Against Israel. Verse 4. It says, on that day, the splendor of Jacob will fade and his healthy body will become emaciated. And so the Lord is saying that, you know, a picture of a healthy body and whatnot now being just skin and bones. And so the Lord is saying that uh, Israel is just going to be a shell of itself because of what it has done. In verse six, only gleanings will be left in Israel as if an olive tree had been beaten two or three olives at the very top of the tree, four or five on its fruitful branches. This is a declaration of the Lord God of Israel. And so we see, if you you can picture picture a tree, I'm looking outside right now my window, and uh, we're in December, and so we've got some trees out there, and none of them have leaves on them. The whole thing is barren, okay? Versus in the summertime, it's all full of leaves and greenery and, and everything like that. And so uh, we see here this is a, a metaphor that the Lord is drawing with regard to how Israel is going to be. And it says in verse 9, On that day their strong cities will be like the abandoned woods and mountaintops that were abandoned because of the Israelites. There will be desolation. For you have forgotten the Lord, or for you have forgotten the God of your salvation. And you have failed to remember the rock of your strength. See, the Lord, uh, as we recall, as we were going through up up to this point in the Old Testament here, the Lord was repeatedly bailing Israel out of the things that they had done for themselves. And one of their main issues was pride. You know, they involved themselves against pride, or they they involved themselves in pride. And uh, they just got to a point where they couldn't extract themselves, and the Lord was tired of bailing them out, and so that was that. We go on to chapter 18, the Lord's message, uh, message to Cush. It says, Woe to the land of buzzing insect wings, 
beyond the rivers of Cush, which, send, which sends envoys by sea and reed vessels over the water. And so what this means is that the land of Cush was sending envoys to recruit people to help them in their, um, in their war or in their coming war with Assyria. And so we drop down to chapter, uh, excuse me, verse 5. It says, For before the harvest, when the blossoming is over and the blossom becomes a ripening grape, he will cut off the shoots with a pruning knife and tear away and remove the branches. They will be left for the birds of prey on the hills and for the wild animals of the land. The birds of prey will spend um, the summer feeding on them and the wild animals in the winter. And so he's, he's pronouncing what's going to happen to Cush, that, that um, the birds of prey, they're going to be sent out in desolation, and the birds of prey are going to eat them, and so are the wild animals. This is what it boils down to. And so that, uh, that is pretty messed up, but that's the way it goes. And then it says in chapter 19, a pronouncement against Egypt. Now, I had to remember, Egypt has been a historical power. You know, they've, they've gone up and down, up and down, but they've always, they've never been conquered up to this point anyway, and they've gone up and down, up and down, and so the Lord is pronouncing judgment against them. And it says, a pronouncement concerning Egypt. Look, the Lord rides on a swift cloud and is coming to Egypt. Egypt. Egypt's worthless idols will tremble before him, and Egypt will lose heart. Verse 2, I will, pro I will provoke Egyptians against Egyptians. Each will fight against his brother and each against his friend, city against city, kingdom against kingdom. Egypt's spirit will be disturbed, uh, will be disturbed. Yeah. Egypt's spirit will be disturbed within it and I will frustrate its plans. Then they will inquire of worthless idols, ghosts, mediums and spiritists. I will hand over Egypt to harsh masters and a strong king will rule it. This is the declaration of the Lord God, God of armies. And so he's pronouncing this declaration on on Egypt, and because even after even after Moses uh, departed Egypt with all the Israelites, and even after Egypt was defeated by the Lord at the Red Sea and whatnot, we never really see Egypt being really dealt with as a whole, if you will, as this pronouncement and declaration is coming forth with. And see, let's drop down. To verse 11. And it says, The princes of Zohan are complete fools. <laughs> Pharaoh's wisest advisors give stupid advice. How can you say, how can you say to Pharaoh, I am a wise one, a student of Eastern kings? See, and so uh, this this pronouncement from God through Isaiah is, com uh, is coming out, and it says, "I am wise. I am one of the wise, a student of Eastern kings." In other words, the wise men of Pharaoh are telling him that they are wise because they've studied other men and other men's wi wisdom. See, not God's wisdom, but other men's wisdom. And it says in verse twelve, "Where then are your wise men?" He's talking to Egypt. Let them tell you and reveal what the Lord of armies has planned against Egypt. Verse 13, the princes of Zohan uh, have been fools. The, prince, uh, the princes of Memphis are deceived. Her tribal chieftains uh, have led Egypt astray. The Lord has mixed within her a spirit of confusion. 
The leaders have made Egypt stagger in all she does as a drunkard staggers in his vomit. No head or tail palm or reed will be able to do anything for Egypt. So this pronouncement uh, makes a clear delineation between the wisdom of man and the wisdom of God. And so God is calling uh, Egypt's wise men's uh, wisdom foolishness and stupid (laughs) and that they are leading Egypt astray. But then in the next section, this is interesting, it says Egypt will know the Lord. And so he has just pronounced essentially judgment on Egypt for being stupid and unwise. And then it says in verse 16, um, on that day, Egypt will be like women and will tremble with fear because of the threatening hand of the Lord of armies when he releases it against them. Verse 18, on that day, five cities in the land of Egypt will speak the language of Canaan and swear loyalty to the Lord of armies. See, on the day of their fear and trembling, it says they'll turn to the Lord. In verse 19, on that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the center of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the Lord near her border. It will be a sign. Um, it will be a sign and witness to the Lord of armies in the land of Egypt. Now, as far as I know, you know, prior to this pronouncement and declaration, there's never been any homage paid to the Lord by the Egyptians. They've always worshipped their own gods. See, But they're saying in the center of the city, there will be a sign and a witness to the Lord of armies in the land of Egypt. When they cry out to the Lord because of their oppressors, he will send them a savior and leader and he will rescue them. And so the Lord is going to respond to their actions. This is interesting. At least I find it interesting. In verse 21, it says, the Lord will make himself known to Egypt and Egypt will know the Lord on that day. They will offer sacrifices and offerings. They will make vows to the Lord and fulfill them. They won't just make or or state empty promises. They won't just have words in their mouth. It says they will make vows and they will fulfill them. And they will honor those vows. Verse 22 (laughs) says the Lord will strike Egypt, striking and healing. Then they will turn to the Lord, and he will be uh, receptive to their prayers and heal them. See, And so th- this is, seems like it's a spanking almost. It's like he will strike them, and in the striking they will be healed. He will heal them, and he will be receptive to their prayers. Verse 23, it says, On that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. Assyria will go to Egypt and Egypt to Assyria, and Egypt will worship with Assyria. Now that is interesting. Because remember, Assyria is, is a tool that's been used by God, but they were real howdy. They were real full of themselves and whatnot, so God had to bring judgment on them, punish them and whatnot. But this says that there's coming a day that Egypt and Assyria will worship the Lord together former enemies of Israel will now become allies as they worship the Lord together. Verse 24, on that day, Israel will form a triple alliance with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing within the land. Verse 25, the Lord of armies will bless them saying, Egypt, my people, Assyria, my handiwork, and uh, Israel, my inheritance are blessed. Wow. See, the Lord can turn enemies into, into allies. I mean, he, 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 can, he, can, 
essentially that's what he did with Paul in the New, in the New Testament when we get there. Paul was an enemy of Christ, but he got turned into one of the biggest allies. And so a lot of times when we look at our enemies, we're not thinking about um, how they could actually benefit the kingdom of God. All we're thinking about is how evil and nasty they are. But if they were to turn, see, if they were to turn from their wicked ways, if they were to turn and then follow the Lord and then be a tool of the Lord, then that could be a tremendous asset. And so this is something that we have to keep in mind when thinking of our enemies and, and, and that sort of thing, because there's no promise that they're always going to be enemies. They could just be in a season of preparation uh, for doing God's work. We don't know. We have no idea. <clears throat> Let's go on to uh, chapter 20. And I'm just going to read a summary of chapter 20. It's relatively short, and it's kind of difficult to understand when you read it. Uh, but I came across this, this description, and I thought it was good. So here we go. It says, God's command to Isaiah was to walk about naked for three years, a humbling experience. God was using Isaiah to demonstrate the humiliation that Egypt and Cush would experience at the hands of Assyria. But the message was really for Judah. Don't put your trust in foreign governments or you will experience this kind of humiliation from your captors. See, people have a habit or had a habit. The Israelites had a habit of looking for natural solutions, looking for allies to fight this foe, looking for another kingdom to help them against this kingdom and this, that, and the other. And the Lord was always upset with them because they didn't turn to him. And so he's saying, <clears throat> you know, this is an example for you, Judah. Don't be you know, trusting foreign governments and whatnot. Turn to me. A lot of times we do turn to God as a last resort. See, we try everything we need to try uh, or we feel we have to try in order to resolve the situation, whatever it may be. And then when nothing works, then we turn to God and say, help me, please, Lord, instead of doing that initially. In chapter 21, the section title says, A Judgment on Babylon, a pronouncement concerning the desert by the sea. And so we're going to drop down here to chapter 6. And it says... <clears throat> For the Lord has said to me, go post a lookout, let him report what he sees. When he sees riders, pairs of horsemen, riders on donkeys, riders on camels, he must pay close attention. And so in, in, uh, in these days, they had what they call watchmen. They would put watchmen on the wall. And the watchman's job was to look out, to see what was coming, what was on the horizon. And it says in verse 8, then the lookout reported, or the watchman reported, Lord, I stand on the watchtower, I stand on the watchtower all day, and I stay at my post all night. In other words, I'm looking all the time. Verse 9. Look, riders come, horsemen in pairs. And he answered, uh, saying, Babylon has fallen, has fallen. All the images of her gods have been shattered on the ground. <clears throat> And so, uh, so this is the pronouncement, you know, against Babylon. And so all of these pronouncements, if you haven't figured it out yet, are kind of negative. You know, if it's a pronouncement, it is like, okay, this is going to be something bad. How bad is it going to be? And it almost always results in the destruction of the, of the country, uh, the destruction of the people, or whatever. And so if, if, if you're a country and Isaiah is announcing a, pronoun a pronouncement on you, then, 
it's probably not a good thing. Chapter 22, this is a pronouncement against Jerusalem. Verse 1, a pronouncement concerning the uh, Valley of Vision. Valley of Vision is just a poetic way of saying Jerusalem. What's the matter with you? Why have all of you gone up uh, to the rooftops? This is Isaiah speaking again, a pronouncement of the Israelites in Jerusalem. Verse 2. The noisy city, the jubilant town, is filled with celebration. Your dead did not die by the sword. They were not killed in battle. And all your rulers have fled together, captured without a bow. What is Isaiah saying? He's saying, why are you partying? You know, uh, your, 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 your warriors have not even fought. And your kings, your rulers, they left, they tried to flee, but they were captured without even a fight. And you're partying. You've got the Assyrians uh, on the outside of the walls waiting to invade you, you, and you're partying, and you haven't put up any kind of resistance or fight. What's wrong with you? In verse 4, Isaiah says, Therefore I said, look away from me. Let me weep bitterly. Do not comfort me about the destruction of my dear people. See? Isaiah doesn't want to hear any comfort. He's desolate. He's like, what are they doing? Why are they partying? You know, they're about to be uh, invaded and captured. Nobody's putting up any resistance. And I just don't know what's happening. And so we go to verse 9 and he says, um, you saw that there were many breaches in the walls of the city of David. So behind, uh, surrounding Jerusalem is the you know, wall. Any city had walls around. The walls were used for protection against invasions. And it says, um, you saw that there were many breaches in those walls. So you know that there are holes in the walls uh, that the enemy can come through. You collected water for the lower pool. You counted the houses of Jerusalem so that you could uh, tear them down to fortify the wall. You made a reservoir between the walls for the water uh, of the ancient pool. But you did not look to the one who made it or consider the one who created who created it long ago. What is Isaiah, Isaiah saying? He said, look, you saw a breach in the wall. You saw these things. So you're trying to repair all this stuff to protect yourself against the invasion. You're doing all the things in the natural that you know how to do, but you never, ever, ever turn to the Lord for assistance. See, it says, but you did not look to the one who made it or consider the one who, cre- who created it long ago. Never once did you do that. In verse 12, it says, On that day the Lord of armies called for weeping, for wailing, and shaving of heads, and for the wearing of uh, sackcloth. In other words, this was a prescription. This is what the Lord was looking for from you. See, on that day, the Lord of armies called for this. He called for weeping. He called for wailing. He called for, you know, uh, uh, humbling yourself by shaving your heads. He called for all of this stuff. He called for wearing sackcloth. He called for you to do these things to demonstrate uh, to him that you were in need and seeking his assistance. In verse 13, it says, but look, joy and gladness, butchering cattle, slaughtering of sheep and goats, eating of meat and drinking of wine. Let's eat and drink for tomorrow we die. And so the people had basically capitulated. They had said, look, we're going to die anyway. So let's go out of here partying. Let's go out of here. Let's eat. Let's drink. Let's, let's, you know, carouse. Let's have fun because tomorrow we're going to die anyway. So what's the point of doing anything else? In verse 14, 
It's just, well, look, before I go on, I just want to I want to talk about that for a second, because we do very similar things. Right. We say when we're faced with something, if we don't think that we can do something about it, particularly if it's something dire, we say, well, what the heck? Let me just have a good time because I'm going to get it anyway. And see, that's not what the Lord is looking for. He's looking for faithfulness. He's looking for trust. You only need trust when there's something that needs to be done that you can't do it yourself. And so you have to trust. You have to have faith that there's somebody else or something something else that is going to assist you in accomplishing the task. It says in verse 14, the Lord of armies has directly revealed to me this iniquity will not be wiped out for you people as long as you live. In other words, because you didn't turn to me, because you, you, know, you just didn't even bother with me, this is never going to go away. It says the Lord of armies has spoken. And then uh, we have a pronouncement against Sheba or Shebna. Now, this is a person. This isn't a... This is in the territory. It says in verse 15, the Lord God of armies says, go to Shebna, that steward who was in charge of the palace, and say to him, uh, what are you doing here? Who authorized you to carve out a tomb for yourself here, carving your tomb on the height um, on the height, and cutting a resting place for yourself out of the rock? And so here Shebna is in the palace, and he's making a tomb for himself in the palace. <laughs> And, and the Lord of Arby says, what are you doing here? You're, you're not a king. You've never been a king. He was an official, some kind of official in, in the kingdom, but he's carving a, a place out for himself, uh, a burial place out for himself in the palace. In verse 17, it says, look, you strong men, the Lord is about to shake you violently. He will take hold of you, uh, wind you up into a ball and sling you into a wide land. There you will die. In verse 19, uh, Isaiah says, I will remove you from your office. You will be ousted from your position. Verse 20. On that day, I will call for my uh, servant, Eliakim, son of uh, Hilkiah. He will clothe him or I will clothe him with your robe and tie your sash around him. I will hand your authority over to him. In other words, I'm going to give him everything that you had. You know, now it's going to be Eliakim, not you. I will hand your authority over to him, and he will be like a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Everything you had, Shebna, because, you know, you were looking for a place of burial in the palace, uh, which didn't belong, which was not your decision. This is what I'm going to do. I will place the key of the house of David on his shoulder. What he opens, no one can close, and what he closes, no one can open. Verse 23, I will drive him like a peg into a firm place. He will be a throne of honor for his, fa- uh, his father's family. Wow, that's a lot of honor being you know, bestowed upon Eliakim. But, it says in verse 25, on that day, the declaration of the Lord of armies, the peg that was driven into a firm place will give way, be cut off and fall, and the load on it will be destroyed. Indeed, the Lord has spoken. So even though all of this, uh, all of these the things were bestowed upon Eliakim, uh, either he did something that wasn't cool or somebody in his line, because we don't know when this 
will take place, if it will take place in Eli uh, during Eliakim's life or if it will happen after he has uh, died, we don't know. Uh, but something went astray. Something went amiss. <laughs> and so all of that honor and whatnot that got bestowed upon him by Isaiah, um, the Lord says that it will fall off. And that, lo that load that he had, that responsibility, that authority that he had will be destroyed. Indeed, the Lord has spoken. Sometimes I wish we had more detail into some of these things, but we don't. And so we, we, we don't know all of the context of what's going on here. Anyway, that is the end of chapter 22. And so we will pick up in chapter 23 tomorrow. Everybody have a glorious day. Bye-bye and take care.